0: we come now to the Word of God. Would you turn in your Bibles, if you'd like to read with me, to Hebrews in chapter 13. This is Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> and before we read, would you please pray with me? Our great God, we know that your Word is living and active sharp. Lord, as we come now before you, would you pierce to our very soul and spirit? Would you use your word to root out sin in us, to produce holiness in us, and Lord, to strengthen us, to walk with you? We ask your grace by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. I want to take here these first, thir- uh, these first six verses. So we'll, we'll read in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? This is the word of God. Now, we have arrived here In the final chapter of the book of Hebrews, it was a long go to get here, but we've made it. In the previous verses, just to remind us of where we are in the previous verses, you might remember that the the author was warning his listeners here not to refuse Christ who is speaking to them, because Christ is the king of what he calls this unshakable kingdom, Christ is the king of Mount Zion, the city of God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and if we trust in Jesus, if we put our faith in Jesus, we then also are citizens of that unshakable kingdom. So when everything else is shaken, only his kingdom will remain. So now here in this section, we get to look at what the kingdom of God looks like. So what does it look like, then, for us to live as kingdom people now? What does it mean to walk as faithful citizens of his kingdom? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is the most practical part of the whole book of Hebrews, although if you're a practical person, I imagine it will still be a little unsatisfying in that sense. But the fact that there is a practical piece here says two things to us. First, that the practical stuff matters. The practical things really matter. Christians are not just people who go to church and read their Bible and learn doctrines and catechisms and fancy words that no one else knows and then let all of that never touch our real lives. We cannot allow ourselves to be compartmentalized, which would just leave us more fragmented. Everything is part of this new kingdom in which we live. So this affects every aspect of our lives. The practical stuff really matters, and if it's not, you're missing it. So that's one thing we learned, but we also have the opposite, that the practical things must be kept in their proper place. The practical things must be kept in their proper place, which here is at the end of the book. It's after a whole lot of things have already been spelled out. So some people will say, preacher, just give it to me straight. Just tell me what to do, and I'll go do it. That attitude is dangerous. It's dangerous because it shows that we are not willing to really listen to God. The author of Hebrews has just spent 12 whole chapters establishing, anchoring truths about how Jesus really is better. He spends all of that time unpacking about how Christ is better than the angels, better than the prophets, better than Moses, how Christ is a better high priest who offers a better sacrifice for sin, who gives us a better new covenant, which gives us a better salvation, how Christ speaks a better word that will give us a better possession, a better country, a better life. So if you say, yes, yes, I know all of those things, just tell me what to do, the author of Hebrews would say to you, no, no, stop. I need you to pause, and you in particular need to hear the truth again. So go into your room, shut the door, if you've got kids, lock it, and percolate on the truths for a bit. Spend just 15 minutes with a part of truth from earlier in Hebrews. Any part. Take uh, the section in, in the second chapter where he says, because Jesus has suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Sit with that for just 15 minutes and see how that truth will change you. So, the practical things matter, but they need to be in their proper place. These are not just an afterthought, but they're also not the main event. These are the natural outflow of a faith that is anchored in the truth of Jesus. This is how now we are supposed to live as kingdom people. We've got a bunch of practical issues here in these verses. It will feel and seem like a bit of a grab bag that he's kind of fast shooting on all these uh, different issues, and he moves very quickly from one to another without elaborating upon them. But these are the things that the author thinks it is important for his listeners to hear. So let's listen. These are pillars of kingdom life in Jesus. There are five things for us here. That we'll pull out, I know it's not a nice Tidy three point sermon, it won't be Two points longer, you know But we've got five things and it's easy To keep track of them if you're reading in your Bible Because each of those five correspond To these first five Verses, but let's look at each Of these five And then we'll bundle them all together So here we go Let's look at the first Pillar of Christ's kingdom, verse One Let brotherly love continue. The first pillar is love your brother. Love your brother. If you were reading the original Greek here, which I know we all do, right, you would recognize the Greek word. The word here for brother love is Philadelphia. City of brotherly love and cheesesteak. And, uh, you know, suburbs of Palmyra, if the big city is too much for you. Uh, but when we're talking about brotherly love here, we're talking about more than just love for your fellow man. You know, love, love a human being. We do that. But this is something more specific. Love for the brothers here is love for other Christians. Love for other people who are in the family of God. And the author here assumes that this is happening already. He says, let brotherly love continue. He calls us to willingly keep going in that. I think it's no accident that he lists this particular pillar first because it's central. You remember Jesus said to his disciples, this is how people will know that you are my disciples if, do you remember, if you have Love, specifically, love for one another. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, if you love one another. So Jesus did not turn around and tell his followers, this is how people will know that you are my disciples if you go to Sunday school every week. Although I hope you do. This is how they'll know you're my disciples, if you keep your yard tidy and don't leave junk out in it. This is how they'll know you're my disciples. If you volunteer, if you give to charity, if you, if, you, if you help out in the nursery or with the youth, if you memorize verses out of the Bible, if you don't cuss or drink or smoke, This is how they'll know that you're my disciples if you go on mission trips and you tell lots of people about Jesus. Many of those things may be good, but Paul reminds us if we speak in tongues of men and of angels and if we have faith enough to move mountains but we don't have love, we have nothing. This is especially true in our love for each other. So look around. I mean it. There's somebody next to you. Maybe you can elbow them. Maybe nudge them if they're falling asleep. But look around. The word of God calls you to love that person. So in the bustle of life, don't forget it. Love your brother and your sister. That's the first pillar. Here's the second pillar of Christ's kingdom. We can see it in verse 2 here. I'll describe this as love strangers, love strangers, the word translated hospitality here literally means to be stranger loving, that's what this word means, hospitality means to be stranger loving, so while love for the brothers, for other Christians might be at the center, the author doesn't want us to forget in the midst of that to open our homes to those who are outside, we know their context is a little different than ours. The author is speaking to people in a time before, you know, there's, there's Motel 6s and hotels everywhere and Airbnbs all over the place. And so this is before you could, you know, plan your trip ahead of time and you go online and, and book your hotel on Travelocity. You know, they didn't have a chance to plan beforehand. So travelers would just show up in a city and they would count on having a place to stay, which meant that the people who would house them didn't have a chance to prepare their houses beforehand. You know how you do when you've got company coming? You mop the floor, which we have not done in a while. Yeah, you know, you maybe scrub, scrub parts of the sink that tends to get dirty. Maybe all, all, all that stuff kind of gets scooted into a closet and then you just close it and hope no one opens that door. That's not how this works. In this context, you would just have to have the house as it is as you live in it. You know, "Come on in, mi casa es su, casa." Ooh, Spanish. "My house is your house." Um, we know that our culture is slightly different than the one he's speaking into, so it's tough to know exactly how this looks for us, but the principle here, the attitude here still applies: Love the stranger. Keep yourself open to the stranger. I know that this comes more naturally to some people. Some people, their door is always open. Come on in, more the merrier. For others, this is a struggle. To open our wallet might feel fine, but to actually open our homes feels intrusive. But the call here is that all of us would be willing to do this because this will benefit us. Oh, hello wasp. Uh, This will benefit us if we have an attitude of stranger loving. He talks here about entertaining angels and he's almost certainly talking about the scene in Genesis with Abraham and Lot when the angels appeared to them as men and rescued Lot out of Sodom. That is not a common situation in scripture. In fact, I think that's the only time I can remember in which that occurs that they encounter angels in that way. So we shouldn't necessarily expect that we would meet angels if we do this but the point here is that if we are hospitable, if we love the stranger, for us the blessing that is gained is more than the blessing that is given the blessing gained is more than that which is given, that's the second pillar, to love strangers the third pillar of Christ's kingdom, verse 3 is to share with the needy Share with the needy. Specifically here, the author names those who are imprisoned and mistreated. In that context, there would be lots of physical needs. Things like food, shelter, money, medical care, you know, all the, you know, Good Samaritan style stuff. And we know that the listeners from earlier in chapter 10 were already doing these kinds of things, supporting those who are mistreated and in prison. But here he even goes a step further. He says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, that you are also in the body with them. In other words, I want you to identify with those people. I want you to join with them. This is what we call empathy, that we are that bound to someone. We know that Jesus identified himself that deeply with people. He talks about it uh, in Matthew chapter 25. Listen to what he says here, beginning in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you in sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Christ the King became like one of the least of these. So if the pillar of hospitality is being willing to let others enter into our space, this pillar, to share with the needy, is being willing to let ourselves enter into someone else's space. Not only that we share our stuff, but that we share our lives, that we share our hearts with them. There's the third. To share with the needy. The fourth pillar now of Christ's kingdom, verse four, is to honor marriage The fourth is to honor marriage. And as soon as I mention the word marriage, I know a lot of people who are not married instantly check out, but you'll notice that this command, this call, is a word for us all. Let marriage be held in honor among all. This is not just for people who are married. And there's a sexual component to this, Uh, He says in just a bit to avoid sexual immorality, which is a very broad term. That immorality includes things like sex before and outside of marriage, to covet another person's spouse, to engage in things like pornography and lusts, and the lewdness that is sometimes in movies and television. If you have experienced those things, run from them. Bring them to Jesus and repent from them. Turn and head out because those sins will devour you if you allow them to continue. But that said, that is not the main point here when he talks about the marriage bed. It's much bigger than that when he talks about marriage. He says, let marriage, not just the marriage bed, but marriage, be held in honor among all Marriage itself is to be honored The word for honor here Can be translated as Precious Let marriage be Precious to you all Like a gemstone, like the diamond That are on many rings The reason that marriage Itself is precious Is because Marriage was created By God As a picture of Of the way that he loves, specifically loves, affectionately loves, uniquely loves his church. Which means that whether you are married or not, when it comes to marriage, honor it. Do not degrade marriage with those ball and chain jokes or that you know how women are, or you know how men are. Don't degrade it that way. Don't demean marriage by thinking of of it as just another part of life, no different than the need to eat, or to get sleep, or to take a bath. And also, do not idolize marriage as if you cannot be fulfilled or be whole unless you're married. That's just not true. But instead, we want to value highly Marriage as a diamond that helps us understand the love of God. There's the fourth. The fifth and final pillar of Christ's kingdom in verse five is be content. Be content. Especially here, he's talking in relationship to money. Be content in relationship to money. We know that poor people can fall into love of money. And rich people can fall into love of money. And middle class people can fall into love of money. And young people and old people can fall into the love of money. We are all susceptible to this. Most people, if you push them, say, Well, I don't really love money. It's good, but I don't love money. You don't realize how much you love and trust money until it's gone. Until money is sparse, till things are tight. Then you realize how much you crave it and love it. The love of money is often buried deep within us. It's often hidden, but take care to watch out for it because it's very dangerous. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy. You'll recognize part of this at least. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. He writes this, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money has pierced them. Pierced themselves with the sting of greed. One author said, the greedy man can never be a happy man. And I want to be happy, yeah? The love of money can sap your joy because it will lead you away from Jesus. It will lead you away from faith. So the antidote to money love here, the antidote to the poison of money love is be content. Easier said than done, yeah? Be content. But we want here to set our minds and hearts to say, Lord, What I have is enough. Lord, what you have given is enough. In fact, it's more than enough, enough to be able to share with the brother and the stranger and the needy. And Lord, even if you took it all away in just an instant, I don't know what I would do, but I know that you will never leave me or forsake me. I have you and that's enough. That will make us content. So now let's pull these all together. Here are the five pillars, at least the ones mentioned here, of the unshakable gospel kingdom of God. If we look at them all set next to to each other, they're pretty striking. Love your brothers, love the stranger, share with the needy, value marriage, and be content. Don't you want to live in a kingdom like that? Don't you want to be part of a kingdom in which that is lived out? This is a good kingdom, better than any kingdom that has ever been set up by man, because this kingdom reflects the goodness of its king. Which then brings us to our last question. If all of this is good, if these pillars of the unshakable kingdom are good, and it is Why, then, does the author choose this next verse in verse 6? Because if we're reading through, he's listed all these things. Do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this, don't do this. Verse 6, then, he quotes a line from the Psalms, from Psalm 118. And of all the lines from all of the Psalms that he could choose, this is what he chose. Verse 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear What can man do to me? Why this one? If the kingdom life is so good, what is there to fear? And I think this is because each kingdom pillar, at least as we see it played out in this life, each of those pillars comes at a certain cost. And you can count on the fact that there will be opposition and there will be risk to pursuing these. If you really want to love your brother, you can bet they're going to hurt you. You can bet it's going to feel like sacrifice sometimes because it is. You can bet it's going to require you to forgive and forgive often. If you really want to love the stranger, you can bet that sometimes you, you may be taken advantage of. People might steal from you or cheat you. If you really want to share with the needy to really identify them, then that means their pain now becomes your pain. Their struggle now becomes your struggle. If you really want to honor marriage, watch as culture alienates you because you hold a very different view of, of sex and of marriage than the rest of our culture does. And if you really want to be content, then you will probably have to learn it the hard way. You're probably going to have to learn the hard way how to do with less than you think you need. These things are hard to do. It's even harder to trust Jesus as we do them. And so we hold on to this truth here from Psalm 118, verse 6 here. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Our confidence is really to know that Jesus is both our King and our helper. He's both our King and our helper. And Jesus knows the real cost of establishing this kingdom because He is the one that brought the kingdom to earth, He's the one that set up the pillars. You know, on the last night on, his, on earth before Jesus was crucified, he gave us help to endure. He gave us his own body and his own blood here in the Last Supper. And as Jesus sat with his disciples in this last Passover meal, part of the Passover meal was to sing, just like we sing together. They would often sing Psalms 113 to Psalms 118, the section we've just read. So the very last thing they did in the supper before they headed out, before Jesus is on his way to the Mount of Olives where he knows he is about to be arrested, he's about to be put on trial and condemned and be killed, as Jesus is walking toward the cross to secure the pillars of the new kingdom, it is likely he has just sung these words from Psalm 118. And the words are playing in his mind to encourage him and to strengthen him in confidence that the Lord, is my shepherd, the Lord is my helper and will not fear what can man do to me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you For establishing your kingdom even at great cost to yourself. Lord, by your strength, would you help us now to follow in this, to be citizens who live faithfully in your kingdom? Lord, we know that while you are physically in heaven, spiritually you are with us. Especially now, Lord, would you set aside this bread, and this juice as holy things. And Lord, as we receive these things by faith, we are saying that we trust you. We're saying that we need your help. And we're saying that we believe that you are our helper. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.